it's my privilege to read the scripture text for us this morning. Uh, once again, I would invite you, if you don't have one, we have these little Gospel of John booklets in the front room that you came in through. Uh, and if you're using one of those, our scripture this morning is on page 28. Uh, we'll be reading John 5, 9 through the end of the chapter. Uh, to catch you up, if you've missed anything, uh, we're going through this book called John uh, that was written by a man who followed Jesus for, for some time. Uh, and he's sharing his experience, uh, his story of what he saw. Uh, and in this particular uh, chapter, these particular verses, uh, Jesus has gone to Jerusalem. He's just healed a man uh, who was ill for some time. Uh, and now we see the action that follows. So if you would, please remain seated but attentive to the reading of God's word from John chapter 5. And at once, the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And that is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son." that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. 
For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. If I haven't met you, my name's Howard. I'm one of the pastors. That's called a discourse. It's a dense, intense bunch of ideas from Jesus. Let's pray to our God, because many of us have a hard time in our culture starting with me, paying attention to the words of Jesus. Would you pray with me and let's ask for help? Father, we thank you for John. We thank you that he got to spend year, a couple of years with Jesus. Lord, our attention spans struggle. They struggle to follow the words of your son. We know that in his words we have life. Would you help me, Lord, to open up your word today? Would you send your spirit to all of my brothers and sisters so that we will see the beauty of your son, Jesus. Take these words off the page and into our hearts so that we will live for your glory like never before. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Have any of you ever been to court? One of the kind of difficult parts of being a pastor is people will show up and say, I got in trouble with the law, will you help? I don't share this to be dramatic, but this short story I tell you is not near as dramatic as the words we're going to enter. I remember a man walked into the church that I was a pastor at and said, I am not a Christian, but I need help. He started to cry. He said, my girlfriend broke up with me, and when she came out of work, I attempted to run her over in my car. I thought the guy was joking. He was not. For the next year, I would go to court with him. And I remember sitting in court, especially the day when the judge looked at him and said, the things that I ask you, think about your words, because this man who is in jail, but who became a Christian, was in a court drama because of something that he had done. I don't know if you've seen the movie Denial. It's a court drama. Many of you have not been in court and seen something like this. But this court drama is a story about a recent true story about two prominent historians. Deborah Lipstadt was an American historian of the Holocaust. She wrote a book about someone she knew of who denied the Holocaust. In the book, she characterized historian David Irving as a Holocaust denier. 
Y'all have seen these people on the news, right? We never went to the moon. The Holocaust never happened. Well, she as a historian, I think was a little perturbed that another historian would deny the Holocaust. Well, David Irving had claimed that the Holocaust never happened, and she said, anyone can make a claim. It's an awful lot harder to back it up. Well, Lipstadt publicly questioned his claim, and guess what Irving did as a prominent historian? He sued her and Penguin Books, where she wrote about him, for libel. Now, I don't, some of you may have a background in law. Most of you do not. Libel occurs when you make a false statement about a person that causes harm to their reputation. So follow me here. The courtroom drama in this movie was that the burden of proof was on Lipstadt to prove that her claims about the Holocaust actually were true. In the end, she won the case by using what's called the justification defense. She demonstrated that her claims weren't libelous because they were undeniably true. This was the difference between denying the killing of millions of Jews by the Nazis or saying that these events are open to interpretation. At the end of the film, there's an exquisite moment when the actress playing Lipstadt looks at the camera and says these words. Freedom of speech means you can say whatever you want. What you can't do is lie and expect not to be held accountable for it. Not all opinions are equal, and some things just happened, just like we say they do. Slavery happened. The Black Death happened. The earth is round, and Elvis is not alive. How does this courtroom drama connect to the words of John? Well, thought influencers of Jesus' day denied Jesus' claim to be the Christ. Their verdict was that he was a criminal and deserved condemnation. My burden for you is that a lot is at stake if you mistake the true claim about Christ for a false claim. Jesus will go out of his way to say truly, truly in the book of John 50 times. This is a life and death matter. Don't you want certainty into a world of fake news? And by the way, today is not new news. The church is not here to give you new news. It is here to declare good news, too good to be true, good news. So the title today that I ask you to enter into is this, Christ or criminal? Criminal, you say, that's somebody that is proven to have committed a punishable crime. Yes, that was the claim against Christ. Or king, the word Messiah doesn't just simply mean king. The Messiah was the king to end all kings. Now, as we watch the trial, I want to ask some of you, especially those of you that are a little sleepy from the rain, wake up. You're going to be the jury. John wrote this book not just as a nice little story, but he really wants you to lean in and be the jury. A jury has to follow exhibitions, claims, and there's going to be three of them, jury. 
The jury also has to follow the parade of witnesses. There will be five. Three claims, jury. Five witnesses, Christ or criminal. Jesus is not a criminal, John's going to show, because of the exhibition of his claims and the evidence of his witness. Now pay attention. This sermon's going to go quick, just like a courtroom drama. You're going to feel like you're on an airplane blasting down the runway. And that's what we're going to do when we look at the claims. You know when you sit in the, in the, cha- the chair there on the, on the plane and you're like, whoa! And when the witnesses come to their stand, this plane is going to take off if you will only believe. Well, let's go to the scene of the crime. What was the crime? The yellow crime scene tape is up. And right there you would find a crippled man who could walk again. Look at verse 12. They asked him, this crippled man, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Verse 15, the man told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed them. What was the crime? A cured, crippled man was carrying his cot. On a Saturday of all days, the Sabbath. Well, if you lived in that culture, there were 39 classes of Sabbath prohibitions. One rule prohibited anyone from even looking in the mirror on the Sabbath. Most of you probably did that today, by the, well, by the way, you've cleaned up pretty well. Did you know there was a rule where you couldn't? Why? Well, look at this. Look at this image. You just might be tempted to pluck a gray hair, but you're not allowed to reap on the Sabbath. I'm not making this up. The self-righteous purity police missed the miracle of a man who couldn't walk for 38 years because they knew the rule. You cannot work on the Sabbath. Their drug of choice was noticing who stepped over those extra little laws so they could feel better than others. I don't know if you watched during the Super Bowl. um, He Gets Us is this group that's around. And when we watch Jesus go up to someone who's broken and heal them with his compassion. He gets us. Isaiah 35, 3 to 6 predicted that the Messiah would come and make firm the feeble knees like this man. Behold your God. He will come and save you. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. He gets us. But John wants us to turn and think of this. Do we get him? Why did Jesus heal a crippled man with such compassion? Because he was the Christ. The religious regulations of these purity police ignored the reality behind that rule, the Sabbath for rest. His crime was related to when he healed the man. Look at verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, persecuting, this is where we find out this is a courtroom drama, because the word dioko is a legal prosecution. Prosecution. It's to bring a criminal charge to you in a trial. And you know what they wanted? Did you see it? They wanted to kill him. They wanted the death penalty. This was a capital offense. They wanted to eliminate him and extinguish his life. By healing on the Sabbath, Christ was claiming equality with God. 
That's what got them so angry. Look at verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Equal. It's the word isos in Greek. It means the same. Remember back in school, and those of you that are in school now, that isosceles triangle? How do you know it's an isosceles? Because you've got two same sides. Now remember, some of you think Jesus is great. Jesus was claiming to be the same as the living God. And if that doesn't shock you, that is different different than most religions. So what did he do? Okay, get ready. The airplane is starting to move. He will exhibit three claims that he was Christ. Claim number one, Christ works like the Father. Claim number two, Christ gives life like the Father. And claim number three, Christ judges like the Father. How will he exhibit these claims? Verse 17, Jesus answered them. That's another clue. This is a courtroom drama because answer means he's going to give a defense. It's a unique word used in the courtroom, and he's going to do something in his defense called abductive reasoning. Now, I know a lot of you don't come to church to sit there and say, why are you going there with those big words? Often we reason in life. We infer things from the facts. One of the great things we learn about Jesus, even though he will deduce and he will do inductive reasoning, he loves to just show up and give you a chance to engage your logic. Abductive reasoning, what's that? It's what's the best explanation for the condition. So I don't want to lose you. You find a guy who couldn't walk for 38 years, and on the Sabbath of all days, someone who claims to be Christ makes him walk. you got some conditions going on. Jesus is going to make a claim that if you will just enter those conditions and say, well, what's the best explanation? What's the most likely inference from the findings? You will find the truth. You all use abductive logic all the time. Imagine, you walk into your kitchen late at night. Suppose your spouse, hypothetically, loves to eat midnight snacks. You find an open bag of chips on the counter and a carton of melting ice cream. You're not aware of any visitors, and he or she was the only other person in the house that night. You reason abductively, my spouse ate a snack and left that ice cream out. You took the conditions, you inferred what you thought took place, but it is an educated guess. It's not airtight. What if a, what if a burglar came in, right? You know, I've worked for 31 years in the medical field. Physicians use abductive logic because they find something wrong and they say, what's the best explanation? Mechanics used it, but key for today, it is mainly used in court. Why? Jurors, jurors like you and me, use that type of reasoning to arrive at our verdict because we want to infer what most likely took place based on the evidence that was given. And the more cumulative evidence, like the three claims he's going to give, the more persuasive the argument is. So here they come. Get ready. Christ is going to heap them up so we don't miss them. Number one, Christ works just like his father. 
Verse 17, Jesus answered them, my father's working until now, and I am working. In that culture, very unlike ours, the son always did the same work as the father. Undeniable. Absolutely. Well, dad's a carpenter. I wonder what I'll be. A carpenter? Philo, the Jewish philosopher, said this. It's the property of fire to burn and snow to chill, so it's the property of God to do. God is a creative designer. He's a carpenter. He's someone that creates beauty. Look at the world. Look at, look at humanity. The rabbis believed that God was absolutely allowed to work even on the Sabbath. God could do two types of work. He could create life, which is exactly what Christ was doing with this crippled man whose life was perishing. He brought his legs back. And secondly, God could judge. That was the work he could do. Jesus, he reasons brilliantly and abductively here. Here's the condition. God the Father does really good work on the Sabbath. He heals people. Guess what? Just like a carpenter's son does carpentry, you caught me. I was working on the Sabbath. I saw a guy that couldn't walk for 38 years. The man is now walking. A cripple is cured. This is what my father and I do. I'm the son of God. I do the same thing. This is irrefutable. So much is at stake about Jesus. He said it with such intensity. Look at verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly. And just so they were really leaning in, truly. He repeats himself over and over. I say to you, the son could do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Jury, what is the relevance what is the relevance for this court scene? It is important to know that Jesus is the same nature as God. This is our story. This is our song. If that claim is true, many world religions collapse. Did you hear our sister Sandra get up and say, I was in India? Many people in India follow Hinduism. Hinduism does not believe that Jesus Christ is the same nature as God. If Jesus' claim is true, that's why Sandra said, does it break your heart that we don't have an entire nation crippled in the legs? They are dead in their sin. This is very relevant. Look at verse 23. All may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever doesn't honor the Son doesn't honor the Father who sent him. Islam does not honor the Son like the Father. Hinduism does not. Humanism does not. What is the relevance? Now let's look at something else, because a lot of this, when you're a jury, this is intense, isn't it? This is like, whoa, dense, intense. This claim is coming at us. Notice, though, that Jesus slows himself down to say that love is the center of reality. Father and son love working together. How do you feel, those of you that are working right now, or those of you that are retired and you remember your work, how do you feel about an awesome accomplishment? Do you realize that the father loving the son in that carpentry shop of the universe, of all that exists? Well, look at verse 20. The father loves the son, shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. 
Now, a lot of you know that there's special words that are used by writers. The father loving the son is not our typical word, agape. You've heard of this one. It's a unique word, phileo. The father loves the son. The father phileo the son. What does it mean? It's so cool. Side-by-side common likes in a fond friendship. You ever work next to somebody and you show up to work and you're like, oh, it's going to be a good shift. I had three staff meetings last week and the favorite thing from each staff meeting, I, I asked, what is going well? They said, when I get to work and I'm with a coworker and we can team together with the sick. The father loves the son. He's right next to the son. And in the power of the spirit, look at the work that they are doing. Two hearts beating as one. You see, the law commands that we love perfectly. The saving work of the Father and the Son announces that you are perfectly loved. Christ is not a criminal because claim number one, he works the same as the Father. All right, the plane's getting quicker. Claim two, Christ gives life the same as the Father. For as the Father raises the dead, verse 21, and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Now, this is staggering because in Deuteronomy 32, it says this about who has the ability to give life. See now that I, even I am he, there's no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. Only God can make alive in What are you saying, Jesus? You see, in verse 21, it says, the father raises or stands up, it's a unique word, egero, the dead. But if you look at the way John told his story in the Greek, remember when Christ went over to the man that couldn't walk? Christ walked over to him and said, egero, which means stand up. Christ is doing things that only God does. Only God gives life. Christ shows up, and what a claim is exhibited. Look at verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. This is reality. What's the relevance? Jury, lean in, listen. What is more relevant than life? Being fully alive. Now, in life after death, what an exhibition. So claim number one. Christ works just like his father. Claim number two, Christ gives life like the father. Claim number three, Christ judges just like the father. Verse 22, the father judges no and he's given all judgment to the son. Judgment. In the Latin, J-U-S, it means right. Dissere means to speak. I remember when I was with this young man who was in court, the judge looked at this man as he was in his shackle wearing that orange, and he looked at him. And he said, I'm going to be asking a number of questions and make sure that you speak clearly. He said, are you taking any medications that would make you a little bit not to think clearly? And the man said, no. He said, if I ask a question and you don't understand it, I will repeat it for you. That judge slowed down his courtroom to make sure that when he listened to the evidence, he would speak right about what was going on. Judge. The word is crino. 
It's the act of saying what is right, and the meaning of a judge is back then would have been the authority of a king to do a number of things. Number one, they would decide the final questions of justice. The judge decided for this man 25 years. 25 years. It's the image of a referee in our culture. Something happens, everybody wants what should happen. The judge decides the final questions. Secondly, the, de- the judge determines the punishment. You might think of the red card when somebody does something wrong in soccer. What is the punishment? They estimate, they evaluate, and they have full authority to do so. Think of the image of the scales. All this, these claims are coming at them. All these witnesses are coming at them. And lastly, they do have the authority to just put down the gavel. They will either condemn you or acquit you. I find it fascinating that we take this piece of wood and we hammer it down in all of our going a million directions. That judge is saying, it is, you are either guilty or you will be innocent. Look at verse 29. Those who have done good to the, those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, I want to slow down, jury. A lot of you are Christians. Does 29, verse 29 say that if I do good, I will earn resurrection life? No. Think of the image of a beautiful fruit tree. Doing good is like fruit on a tree. The fruit on the tree does not give the tree life. You know that. But the fruit on the tree reveals that the tree is already alive. And this is the judgment that Christ will make at the last day. You see, you are not saved by your deeds, but you are discovered by your deeds. Jesus' claim to judge is crescendoed with a claim to end all claims in verse 27. Jury, don't miss this. He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Why can Christ execute judgment? Because he is the son of man. Did you know that this was Jesus' favorite description of himself? We say we love Jesus. Did you know if you said, Jesus, tell us kind of in your own way. You got a nickname? How do you want to be called? He would say, call me the son of man. Why? And by the way, it would be 77 times on his lips. Three times it was on the lips of others. So 80 times, this is how he refers to himself, or he's referred to. The son of man was someone predicted in the book of Daniel who would come and suffer. But he would be vindicated by God and he would judge. Daniel 7, 13. I saw in the night vision, said Daniel, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. So jury, you've heard three claims exhibited by Christ. Now it's time to call a parade of witnesses and they're going to come quick. That airplane which has been going forward, you're falling into your seat and the front wheels are lifting off. Are you ready for number one? Jesus is not a criminal because of the evidence of his witnesses. 
In John chapter 5, in this section, 10 times the word witness will come up. In verse 31, it says, if I alone bear witnesses about myself, my testimony is true. Jesus is saying, I'm not even going to bring my own testimony to the table. Because in the Old Testament, you would need two or three outside of yourselves. So he will call five expert witnesses. Witness number one, John the Baptist, verse 33. You sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Verse 35. He was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Remember John, he sees Jesus one day and he's like, the Lamb of God. Jesus is saying, don't forget that this final prophet was a witness to me. Witness number two, come to the stand. Jesus says, it's the signs. It's the miracles. You had a guy that couldn't walk for 38 years, and on the Sabbath, he's walking around. Look at verse 36. The testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I'm doing, they bear witness about me that the Father sent me. You see, John was a lamp, but Christ was the light source. Okay, witness number three, take the stand. God the Father, this is a pretty good witness to have in your back pocket, by the way. Verse 37, and the Father who sent me, he has himself borne witness about me. Those of you that are Christians, do you remember when Jesus was baptized? And then it says, the Father spoke, and what did he say? This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. The Father was a witness. Oh, this this is something... Witness number four, the whole story, the scriptures, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's they that bear witness about me. You search those scriptures knowing all the laws and details. But do you allow the scriptures to search you and your claim or denial of, my, of who I am? Witness number five, take the stand. Moses, boy, he would be a good one to get on your side. Verse 45, don't think I'll accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. Now, Moses taught that on the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. One thing Jesus is doing here is he's having a little bit of fun. He's saying, you say you honor and love his words. I just brought five witnesses to the table. All it takes for him is two or three. In verse 46, he says, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. It's guaranteed. Moses gave the law. In Deuteronomy 21, one of the laws, one of the things that they would have known and Jesus knew was this. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, this is found in Deuteronomy 21, and he's put to death, and you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night on that tree. You'll bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. Jesus is saying, you've got the story. You've got Moses. It's all about me. Will you believe it? It's undeniable. It's absolute. You see, the work of the Father and the Son was to save sinners. How? By the Son dying so that we would have life. Jesus, when did he do his cross work? It was on a Friday. 
And when he was hanging on that cross on that Friday, he said those words, it's finished. My father and I had a plan that I would come and I would die as the criminal. Son of God, the judge being judged in the place for you, the sinner. Christ, he is both judge and judged. This is such good news because the gavel of condemnation has fallen once and for all on Jesus. The gavel of not guilty has fallen once and for all on you. The lawmaker became the law keeper for you, the lawbreaker. I remember saying words close to this about a year into visiting this young man. We were reading through the book of John, and I remember reminding him the lawmaker became the law keeper. Jesus never broke any laws, so that you, a lawbreaker, will be set free for eternity. And he believed those words. It was, it, the buffer was between us. We were both on the phone. But the day he believed those words, it was unbelievable. He passed from death into life. We've watched the parade of these witnesses. We've listened to these claims. Listen to the verdict that Christ gives as worker, life giver, and judge. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment. He's passed from death into life. He's crossed over. It's the word matabino. You're removed from one place and you're put into another. You've crossed over from one state out of death into life. I love the story where Aslan the lion in, the, in, in one of the books goes up to these statues. And one of those statues was, I think his name was Timnus. He was uh, he just frozen. And all Aslan, the Christ figure, did was breathed on him. And the statue went from one state, frozen, and was moving around. Had something to live for. Wasn't just alive. Wasn't just living, but living for the glory of Christ. Well, Jerry, you've heard Christ's three claims. You've watched the witnesses. Jerry, what is your verdict? Criminal or Christ? If you believe, then you have passed from death into life. It is irrefutable. It is undeniable that you are not just living, but fully alive now. I find it interesting that many of my friends and neighbors, they always at work talk about their favorite shows. Did you know that Law and Order, that show has captured the imagination of many of us. For 22 years, this show has gone on. It's the same thing that John just did. It has a two-part approach. The first half hour investigates a crime and the suspect. The second half, you have the prosecution and the defendant. And these shows are so fascinating because they rest on real cases, just like the case I told you about with this brother in Christ who was, who was a criminal. The show uses real cases that make the headlines. 
Well, here is the headline from John today. Good news. Good news that's so true it will feel too good to be true. Good news. Christ is equal with God. Christ gives life now. Christ, the judge, has been judged. Have you passed from death to life? Would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts for communion? Father, I know that this is one of the hardest parts of the book of John because it's dense, it's intense. I found myself while John was, Jonathan Flippin was reading it, my mind was wondering. But Lord, John wrote these words so that we would hear Christ's claims. We would listen to these witnesses. Lord, we're a brand new church. We know that we're sitting right in the middle of a little city that has all sorts of religions. It has all kinds of claims. Thank you that you gave us your only son, Father, who said over and over, truly, 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 in a world of such lies that we don't know what's right. We thank you for for John. We thank you that your son said to us, there is truth we can bank everything on. Undeniable. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.